0: I'm Jeremy sparrow I'm
1: Matt Levine. This is Cornucopia. There was an actual fountain inside the Fountain of Youth, just left of the door and in front of the small round table where customers would hang out and sometimes play cards with the owner. But in 1987, the store was suddenly too small. Biodegradable diapers were the hot new thing on the market, but they demanded space like nothing else, and so the unthinkable happened. The fountain was drained and disassembled, thrown under a tarp out back. The namesake was no more. Less than a year later, we'd find out the sacrifice was all for naught. The diapers... The love for a time by the eco-groovy moms and dads of the world would turn out to be a fraud, taking centuries to actually degrade into anything other than bags of literal shit. The fountain was eventually returned to its rightful place, but it never worked again. There's a lot of crap out there in the
0: grocery aisles, but there's a special kind, too. Call it bullshit, that tries to hide its own stink. It hides behind all manner of aspirational claims. Natural flavorings, free-range, cage-free, locally-sourced ingredients. We're meant to take these claims as signifiers of some sort of greater value held in the products emblazoned with them. But how are we to know? If we choose to, how are we to know whether or not the things we buy really are better for ourselves and the world around us, or whether their claims are just piles of words meant to cover up some ungodly stink? In this episode, Matt and I take a flamethrower to the camouflage. Episode 2, The Forest of Illusions.
1: So there are two worlds, before Silent Spring and after. This is a book
0: you've heard of. It was written by Rachel Carson, a biologist, and published in 1962. It's like the book on environmentalism, The Genesis.
1: Before it's published... There's no real movement, at least not in the way we know it today.
0: Like, it was a movement of hunters, guys whose interest was in preserving big swaths of untamed land so that they could go out into that land and shoot things.
1: That's not to say that this is bad. I mean, it gives us the national parks we have today, and land preservation is still a huge part of the movement. But Rachel Carson's book shifted some of the focus. Her focus was pesticides, and
0: especially the notorious DDT. Things she went out of her way to call biocides, actually, because they turned out to kill far more than pests alone.
1: DDT, in particular, was killing an enormous number of birds, hence the title, Silent Spring.
0: And it was causing all sorts of disease in people, too. So she refocused the world's consciousness on the, like, collateral damage of industry. The ways in which all sorts of different human behaviors impact the whole world.
1: The big chemical giants that arose from the aftermath of the Second World War were suddenly suspect. Big industry as a whole was suddenly
0: suspect. And it wasn't always this way. I
1: mean, this was the nuclear age, right? Like the age when science fiction was all about the wonders of rockets and flying cars and food pills. Rachel Carson brings this thinking that, hey, Maybe we shouldn't just trust companies like Monsanto and Dow to do the right thing in the face of enormous profits.
0: And of course, these companies would reply in kind. Monsanto even went so far as to release a response called the desolate year. It attempted
1: to alarm the public through a morbid depiction of a world wracked by famine and disease because it had refused to embrace their chemicals.
0: And while many of these practices indeed have gone on to increase yields, they would also give rise to things like monocultures, environmental contamination, and the other impacts we see today from high intensity, high yield farming. Still, industry would have trouble defanging Carson.
1: The resulting outcry from Silent Spring would knock down a thousand dominoes that would spread throughout the world. It
0: would go on to galvanize a nascent grassroots movement into a real uprising.
1: One that would go on to force the U.S. to ban DDT, eventually form the EPA, and continues to echo through to today with everything, really, we know about environmentalism.
0: So without Silent Spring, Al Gore never makes an inconvenient truth. Greenpeace doesn't exist at all. The Lorax never gets published.
1: And some of those dominoes would lead to the natural foods movement. After all, it stands to reason that if the big enemies of the day were the chemical companies and the food and agribusinesses that relied on them, then the best way to combat this was to stop buying their stuff.
0: And in the process, eat healthier, more eco-groovy foods.
1: So the early pioneers of the movement sought to transform not only the way food was grown, but how it was processed, and also the stores in which they were sold.
0: A whole cottage industry sprang up to serve the folks looking to follow this path.
1: Small and independent stores like the Fountain of Youth run by hippies and others and supplied by like-minded farmers and early manufacturers looking to trade in simple, clean, all-natural. And for a time, this was good. It wasn't until the 70s that big business began to think really seriously about image. An era of consolidation and an explosion
0: in mass media Got all these big companies thinking that success depended not just on marketing individual products and services, but on styling a whole identity. Something to work as an emotional trigger to combat rising suspicion of large corporate machines.
1: 7up would double its sales with its Uncola campaign that promoted itself as a contrast to the behemoths of Coke and Pepsi. Cigarette and alcohol ads would take on a more sultry tone, reflecting the sexual liberation of the day, and car companies would begin delivering messages of freedom and leisure offered by the open road and the power of a V8 under the hood. Oh my, it's a gorgeous car, what is it?
0: It's a new Dodge a Dodge Charger 500.
1: Dynamite. Yeah. Hey, these new high back
0: Yeah. See how nice they
1: fit? Get it really ride smooth, huh, Al? Why don't
0: we find out? 1970 Charger 500. If you can cope with a whole new image,
1: you could be Dodge material.
0: And in food, that image began to take on more and more an implication of products that were fresh, natural, and unprocessed. See, the natural foods business, much like the computer industry that had been growing largely alongside was, at least up to this point, more an industry of revolutionaries than entrepreneurs. And it was this spirit that big business hoped to emulate.
1: The first big corporate ventures into this world wouldn't happen until the 80s and 90s, and big business took its first tentative steps through acquisitions. Hippie
0: brands like Celestial Seasonings,
1: Cascadian Farms, and Lifestream,
0: which would later become Nature's Path, were snapped up by the likes of Lipton, Welch's, and Kraft. And while these first ventures into the business would prove to be commercial failures later sold back to their founders, they would herald big changes to come.
1: Starbucks and Whole Foods proved that consumers would pay more for higher price premium products and even stand in long lines to buy them. And as mentioned in our first episode, all this was taking place during a time when food business had begun chasing higher margins. It wouldn't be long before the crafts of the world took notice and a great unraveling would begin.
0: The natural foods industry had, up to this point, largely been self-governed through the good faith of its players.
1: Controversies came up, but everybody mostly agreed on the same rules.
0: But this very spirit was also a vulnerability. And so when the giants of industry showed up for the game, the small, natural food producers would be caught with their heads buried in their own alfalfa sprouts.
1: Unable to do much against these new players with their own sets of rules, ready to wage war on language itself.
0: They would begin a campaign of greenwashing, a perhaps euphemistic term for a whole gambit of marketing practices around claims of eco-friendliness and other moves meant to deceive shoppers with implications of healthfulness. This takes many forms, but the most prominent is found on a foods label.
1: A kaleidoscope of claims like all natural and made with, as in made with real fruit, were and still are essentially unmanaged.
0: And so big companies are free to waltz into the marketplace with all sorts of good-sounding but increasingly meaningless assertions.
1: Watering down more and more terms that had once upon a time held actual meaning.
0: So then what of regulation? Well, let's just look at Tyson. Tyson Foods, that is. In 2007, the company began telling their shoppers that their chickens were raised without antibiotics.
1: And, well, they're this enormous company, the world's largest meat processor.
0: They pulled in over $10 billion in 2015. And
1: like all huge companies, they've got lawyers and lobbyists second to none.
0: And so when Tyson says their chickens are made without antibiotics, that claim is made with the thinking of an attorney.
1: Or in other words, Bullshit.
0: Eventually it would come out that actually they had been using antibiotics all along.
1: Lacing chicken feed with bacteria killing ionophores.
0: Tyson would claim these weren't actually antibiotics, but they fit the definition to a T and were even shown to be producing resistant bacteria in cattle.
1: This claim would be struck down by the FDA, but it would be replaced by a modified claim stating that they were raised without antibiotics that were used in humans.
0: And while that claim is technically true, the next part of their argument gets weird, even metaphysical, because they ask the question, is an egg a chicken?
1: Is an egg a chicken? Is an egg a chicken? Yeah.
0: Tyson was actually using a second antibiotic all along called gentamicin, but they didn't use it in the birds themselves, but introduced it to the eggs just before they were hatched.
1: So though they have an antibiotic circling through their system, those chickens haven't technically been administered antibiotics themselves. Because
0: they were given eggs. Which
1: aren't themselves chickens, Or
0: at least not yet because they're sort of... Sort of a pre-chicken. So Tyson argues that when a bird hatches from an egg it's a new thing. Its nature is somehow fundamentally changed.
1: So like... They didn't raise any chickens with antibiotics because hatching an egg isn't part of raising a chicken.
0: It's kind of like if you ask your partner if you can get a dog and they say no so you go out and get a puppy. In Tyson's world, they buy this argument. Yeah,
1: though pretty much nobody did. The USDA disagreed and sued, as did their main competitors and various consumer groups. And all this culminated in Tyson being forced to back off on the entire claim altogether.
0: And while that may be good, the problem is that all this didn't seem to really come with any sort of fallout for Tyson.
1: The most punitive action we can find is an eventual settlement to the tune of $5 million to settle the class action lawsuit they faced. But
0: again, this is a truly enormous company.
1: So the question is, in what way is Tyson deterred by all this?
0: By all accounts, the company made an enormous amount of money off of this whole advertising program of theirs. So what stops them from building something like this in is just a cost of doing business.
1: And Tyson isn't alone here. Other companies, perhaps most notably Palm Wonderful, seem to have adopted strategies that rely not on complying with the law, but on
0: battling against it, and when they lose, just sort of absorbing whatever fines and penalties
1: they face. Continuing to spread false and misleading claims all the while. This contrasts with an earlier era, before the neutering brought about by the deregulatory zeal of the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s.
0: A time when the government really did hand out meaningful
1: fines. Most notably, in 1977, Warner Lambert, the makers of Listerine, were required to spend $10 million on corrective advertising.
0: That's nearly $63 million in today's dollars. After
1: the FTC ruled that its claims of cold and sore throat prevention were nothing more than complete baloney.
0: That's the equivalent of tens of millions of dollars not only pulled out of their own pockets, but then turned against the very false information they spread.
1: A sort of double fine.
0: And in the meantime, the industry's smallest players are offered no such deference, at least by the Goliaths of big agribusiness.
1: Monsanto, for example, repeatedly sued a variety of dairies for labeling their milk free of bovine growth hormone, a
0: product it produces and sells. Not
1: on the basis that these claims were false, but those claims merely implied inferiority in the alternatives.
0: In other words, even though these dairies weren't actually claiming anything negative about bovine growth hormone, Simply stating that their products were made without it was somehow profoundly disparaging. And yet concession under these circumstances is all too often the only reasonable course of action. After all, who is the wherewithal to withstand an onslaught from one of the world's biggest, most powerful, and most aggressive corporations. And even here,
1: it would turn out that there is indeed reason to suspect that RGBH is harmful to human health. It continues to be banned in the EU and around the world, and has been linked to numerous maladies through scientific studies. Today, it is only used in a tiny handful of dairy suppliers, even in the U.S.
0: So, how did it get this way? I mean, the government already has the tools it needs.
1: FDA, USDA, FTC. This
0: enormous bureaucracy all meant to just sort of keep businesses from doing whatever it is they want.
1: Look at it this way. We all know the financial industry holds enormous sway over our politics. And yet, food retail and food services sales account for around $5 trillion.
0: That's about $2 trillion more than finance, insurance, and real estate combined.
1: And this doesn't account for every part of the economy that has a direct hand in producing our food. The
0: food industry accounts for 10% of our employment and 12% of our spending.
1: With the vast majority controlled by a tiny number of food giants.
0: And the amount of money these players have driven into lobbying over the past two decades is truly staggering.
1: Add everything up from agriculture to food services and grocery to the chemical companies that supply them.
0: And we find a lobby that is easily one of the nation's most powerful.
1: And while the spotlight tends to focus on the efforts of bankers, the fossil fuel industry and the gun lobby, the food industry pulls the strings of government with equal tenacity. Just look
0: at the battle over added sugars.
1: A 2014 proposal by the FDA would have mandated the company's state on food labels when products contain added sugar.
0: And this doesn't come out of nowhere. As it turns out, there's quite a lot of sugar being added to our foods. And oftentimes it's found in places where you wouldn't necessarily expect it.
1: Things like fruit juices, breakfast cereals, bread, granola, tomato sauce, canned soups, crackers, and even dried fruit.
0: And so there's a huge number of shoppers out there who are purchasing foods that would traditionally be healthy, but as it turns out aren't because, I mean... I mean,
1: who expects dried fruit of all things to contain added sugar?
0: And so this should have been a pretty uncontroversial thing, right? Like, where's the harm in this?
1: And yet this was met with an onslaught of industry lobbying and outrage.
0: They would claim that an added sugar label would sow confusion among shoppers that it would be too difficult to understand.
1: And while this seems absurd on its face, the pressure would prove to be too much.
0: And so the label was killed off, replaced instead by dietary guidelines that recommend that people get no more than 10% of their daily calories from sugar.
1: And this isn't the only way in which these guidelines have been manipulated.
0: As it turns out, Even better than being above the law is to be the law itself. And so industry has spent decades working its way into the halls of power. Many of the very same people charged with regulating the nation's foods are all too often selected from the same companies they're meant to police. Advisory panels are rife with allegations that they are staffed by industry insiders, and at least one Obama appointee, Michael Taylor, a man who spent decades making a career of variously shifting between Monsanto and the government, serves as deputy commissioner for food safety at the FDA. The fox isn't just in the hen house. It owns the deed.
1: If this sounds familiar, it should. When the global economy collapsed in 2008, it stemmed from the very same sorts of problems. The very same system of legalized corruption that leads time after time to disaster.
0: Only this time, it's not the financial markets that are at stake. It's our food. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Thanks
1: for listening, folks. It's time for me to put my helmet on and pedal over to the supermarket. (laughs) God, that was fucking horrible. Special thanks to the following... Nicole
0: Whedon, web guru and designer extraordinaire at Glee Machine.
1: Alan Stonebreaker, Brian Stowell, Cherry Pasamba.
0: Chris, Ethan, and Sebastian the Wonder Dog.
1: The Upstairs Neighbor for not playing music too loud.
0: And anybody who's ever ridden a San Francisco pedicab.
1: And even more if you know how to tip.